some of us have a plan. Some of us just know about other people's plans or about other people's good ideas. Not only has he maintained his readiness over the long haul, but Daniel has maintained his readiness even though he's surrounded by wickedness. This part of chapter 5, I personally marvel at. Daniel has been faithful to the Lord and seemingly respectful and loving towards these wicked leaders. For almost 70 years now, Daniel has worshipped the Lord but been respectful of the wicked Babylonian rulers. And it's not like Daniel's out removed into the margins of society. Daniel doesn't live out in the country. Daniel's been in the palace, around the table, at the conversations where the king, where King Nebuchadnezzar is talking about what's happening, the direction the company is going, country is going. Daniel's been in the middle of it and has maintained his faithfulness to the Lord in spite of the wicked that was around him. How do you do it, maintaining your faithfulness to the Lord when you see wicked around you? Some of you have uh, bosses who have been absolutely wicked towards you. Do you tell everyone who will listen how bad it is? Or are you somehow living in obedience to the Lord and with respect towards your boss? Some of you uh, watch the news and you see what's going on in culture. uh, And for you, every day is worse than the last. And every day we're just one step closer to some sort of volcanic eruption of evil. And anyone who will listen, you'll tell how terrible things are now and how much worse they were than when you were a kid. How do you live in obedience to the king and with respect to our leaders? Unfortunately, it seems like many of us sabotage our own efforts, many of us sabotage our own influence by criticizing everyone and everything. And it's just remarkable to me that when the king needed counsel, he called on Daniel. It was Daniel's name that came up as someone who could be of use in this situation. I might have expected the queen to say, call Daniel, and then the king to go, nah, I'm not calling Daniel. He's the one that stands out front of the palace and pickets every day and says, you're all going to hell. He holds these terrible signs. He's been in the kingdom nonstop. This guy is a nuisance. That's what I would expect. He calls Daniel. How do we live with obedience to the one true king and respect to our leaders? Part of being ready, as we see from Daniel, is maintaining our posture of faithfulness, of maintaining our readiness, even when we've been forgotten about. Some of you can relate. Some of you feel like because of your age, maybe you feel like you're too young, or maybe you feel like you're too old, and because of that, you are less useful to the Lord than maybe you once were. Or maybe when you get to this point, then you'll be useful to the Lord but not now. You're, you're too young. You, you've got like junior varsity Christianity. You've still got your training wheels, your spiritual training wheels on. But one day those training wheels will come off. Say, don't believe that lie. Whether you think you're too young or whether you think you're too old, don't believe the lie. Be ready. Some of us think because of something in our past or even our present, we've been passed over. That our usefulness to the Lord um, is gone. That we've been forgotten about by him and forgotten about by those around us. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie that because there's something in your past or something in your present that God can't use you. That you're less than. 
Think about our family situations. Everyone's family looks different. And the fun part about being a pastor at a church is I get to see a whole lot of families and none look alike. But some of us feel more weight or have the sense that our family is more dysfunctional than others or that our life is more dysfunctional than others. And so if you find yourself in a spot as we come into Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays where you're reminded in some way, shape, or form that your family is different or maybe you feel less than someone else's, I would say don't believe that lie. Be ready. Some of you are single and don't want to be. Some of you have kids or, or some of you don't have kids and you really want them. Some of you don't have any family in town and you really wish you did. I think the call on the Lord in each of our lives is whatever we think we're lacking to release that to the Lord and to be ready and to even believe that the things that we lack put us in a unique position to be available to something that the Lord is doing that maybe those who have whatever it is we think we lack or whatever we want that we don't have are not available for or might miss that actually the things that we see as flaws or the things that we see as something that is less than uniquely positions us to be used for the Lord and his purposes right now in this season. Don't believe the lie that you're less than. Be ready. The final point this morning is if God is over all, if he sees all, if he has supremacy, has power over all things, sovereignty, awareness, influence over all things, God's people can be bold when he puts a word on our hearts. I want you to see now as Daniel comes in before the king, given a message that I think as I read this, starting in verse 18, you'll say, if the Lord sent me to a king with that message, I would like to find a way out. I would like to find a detour. I would think, oh shoot, this is not going to go well for me. Let's pick it up, Daniel 5, 18 through 23. Daniel now walks in. The king says, hey you, uh, I think maybe we've seen each other before at the grocery store. Um, I hear you can do these things. Um, now interpret, interpret this. Daniel says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But, verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. You remember Ricky preaching on that that chapter where Nebuchadnezzar is removed from the throne and he's sent out to the pasture. He walks on all fours. He essentially loses his mind and eats the grass like an animal until he is humbled. Verse 21, he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. No covering. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. 
but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. How would you like to give that message to the most powerful man on the earth? How would you like to walk in and say, Oh, you king. And point the finger like Daniel did. Daniel might be rusty, but he is not out of practice, is he? He is not rusty, but he he is rusty, but he is not out of practice. Now we see a couple things in what Daniel brings before the king that I think again, should give us pause and should cause us to ask the question, am I more like Belshazzar than I'd like to admit? The first thing he says is, Belshazzar, you saw everything that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You should know better. He looks at the king and he says, you've heard this before. You've seen what happens when you make yourself arrogant, when you take credit for what you've done, when you take credit for your empire, when you take credit for what you've become. You should know better. As we pause from the text and, and kind of bring ourselves into it, haven't we seen certain sins wreck homes, marriages, persons, careers? And don't many of us tolerate those same sins? Don't many of us try to manage uh, those same sen- sins with the sense that, yeah, they destroyed this person or this person's life, but I've got this. I'm doing okay. It's not that bad. It hasn't gotten out of control yet. We have all of this to guide and to instruct us. You know, we look at Belshazzar and say, if Belshazzar, if I would have seen what Belshazzar had seen, I would be different. Don't you think that Belshazzar would say, if I had this, I would have been different? I think it goes both ways. Belshazzar was given much, and it only increased his capacity for pride and for arrogance, not for worship. It did not humble him before Almighty God. Haven't we been given much? I mean, look around. It's beautiful out there. It's beautiful in here. This is a great place. Uh, The Pew Research Center did some work a couple years ago, and, and... about uh, global poverty and economics. And one of the takeaways from the study was the conclusion that 71% of humanity, 71% of people in the world all across the globe live on less than $10 a day. 71%. 93% live on less than $50 a day. So if you have a full-time job making minimum wage, you are in the top 7% of the world. We have been given a lot. Has it increased our capacity for gratefulness? Has it increased our capacity for worship? Or has it only made us prideful, arrogant? Look what we've done. Look what we've built. Look what we have. And don't we want more? Has it increased our capacity for gratefulness and for worship? Or has it increased our capacity for idolatry and for covetousness? 
Now, Daniel does give the king the interpretation of the dream, the literal construction of the four words written in verse 26 and 27. Um, say, weighed, no, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Your transgressions have been numbered. They have been weighed in the balances. They have been divided. They have been found wanting, been found lacking. You're bankrupt. You're out, out of time. We know that very night, the Medes and the Persians came in. Um, Greek historians record that the uh, Medes and the Persians dammed up the Euphrates River as the level of water fell. The soldiers came in underneath the huge walls. Uh, They walked right in. They conquered Babylon in the night. It says actually in the historical documents that the people in Babylon received the Medes and the Persians because Belshazzar was such a poor ruler. In a night, it's all taken away. And if we turn backwards to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 13, I want you just to see that this was told about, this was prophesied about 150 years before it happened. Isaiah 13, 17 through 19 says this. This is the word of the Lord to Isaiah. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them, them being Babylon, who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. In other words, he's saying the Medes, they don't care about your money. They just want to come in and dominate and destroy. They're going to be ruthless. Verse 18, their bows will slaughter the young man. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms and splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrows them. 150 years before the Medes and the Persians come in. God says, I will stir up the Medes and the Persians. They didn't come in because it was the festival. They didn't come in just because it was a good time to attack. They, became, they came in because the Lord sent them to bring about his justice. And this is what Daniel declares boldly to the king. Now, it's probably wise to pause and say, if God puts a message that is, uh, requires great boldness to deliver to someone, it's worth pausing just a minute and making sure that the message is of the Lord and that your method of delivery is also from the Lord. If you can't give the message with love in your heart in a way that is loving, you probably shouldn't give it. If you haven't spent significant amount of time praying and begging the Lord for clarity and for peace in your heart to deliver something that is difficult to hear, you probably shouldn't deliver that message that is difficult to hear. If you haven't maybe sought counsel from a wise friend, someone who trusts and has followed the Lord for a long time, probably shouldn't give that message. You really want to hear from the Lord that this is of him and not something that is coming out of the sin in your own heart, and you really want to do it in love. Daniel goes in, delivers this bold message. You see, over the course of Daniel's life, he has now seen God faithful over and over and over, and he is able to walk into the king and deliver a very difficult message and trust that his future is okay because God is over it. I don't know how you do when you have something difficult to bring up. I know how I do. I get really nervous. I have a lot of anxiety. I obsess about it for a long time, try to figure out how I can do it in my own strength, uh, and it's terrifying. And there's probably more words, too, that are not complimentary of me or uh, indicative of great faith. Um, 
It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to deliver a message that is hard. But Daniel has seen the faithfulness of the Lord time and time again. And he has come to the spot where he can lay his future, lay the message, lay the person that's being delivered to at the hands, at the feet of the Lord. And Daniel can be good because he knows that God is over all. As the song we sang, the Lord is Lord of all. When it's true in your heart in the sense that you have fully taken hold of that truth, it allows us to be bold for the Lord when and how he leads. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about events and persons in the Old Testament foreshadowing future events. And so this one is, this one is interesting to me, uh, but we are going to read from Jeremiah 51, prophecy about the Medes and the Persians conquering the Babylons, the conquering Babylon. And we're seeing that happen here in Daniel chapter 5. That very night, the Medes and the Persians come in and conquer Babylon. The conquering of Babylon foreshadows the future conquering of Babylon. And when, when we say Babylon as it relates to end times, when we say Babylon as it relates to Revelation 18 and 19, when we say Babylon as it, as it pertains to uh, the end of this age, we're talking about the nation, the empire, and the people that follow the Antichrist, that follow the beast at the end. And so what I want you just to see is just as clearly as God orchestrated the fall of Babylon, just as certain as it is now historically, the same is true of God's plans for the future and his attentiveness to humanity and the wickedness that we see around us. Let's read Jeremiah 30, uh, 51 and Revelation 18, and I'll try to just read a few verses where they overlap so that you can see the parallels, the thoughtfulness and certainty of God's plan for our future coming from Jeremiah, talking about this event that we see in Daniel 5 of Babylon's fall and Revelation 18 and 19. that talks about the fall of humanity all who follow the Antichrist in the final judgment. Let's start in Jeremiah 51. I'll read verse 24, and I just want you to see from Jeremiah 51, 24, that God's response is because of the guilt of the people. Jeremiah 51, 24. Here's what he says. He says, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes. For all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. The people of Babylon are guilty. Now, Revelation 18, uh, verses 2 and 3, talking about the end times. It says, And a voice called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Right? We see indulgence in every way, sexual indulgence, luxurious living. And the voice says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Fallen, fallen is the wickedness of humanity. Let's read Jeremiah 51, 28 and 29. I want you to see that the judgment of Babylon is severe 
and is final. And the judgment at the end of days is going to be severe and final for all those who don't follow Christ. Jeremiah 51, 28 and 29 says this. It says, prepare the nations for war against her, against Babylon. The kings of the Medes with their governors and deputies and every land under their dominion. The land trembles and writhes in pain for the Lord's purposes against Babylon stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. Severe and final for Babylon. From Revelation 18, uh, verse 8, it's going to be severe, it's going to be swift, uh, it's going to be final for all of humanity that rejects God. Verse 8 of Revelation 18 says, For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, swift, death and mourning and famine, for she will be burned up with fire, severe, for mighty is the hand of God who has judged her. And then last, from Jeremiah 51, 26 and 27, we see that God sets himself against the wicked, and as he carries out judgment, he sets himself towards the righteous, towards those who follow him. He carries out vengeance on behalf of his people. Jeremiah 51, uh, 36 and 37. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your cause. We have a Lord who pleads our cause. And take vengeance for you. We have a Lord who takes vengeance for us in his time. It says, I will dry up her sea. I will make her fountain dry. And Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. Revelation 18:20. as we look towards the future, as we look toward Jesus' return, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Rejoice, saints, for God has given judgment for you against the enemy. The message of Daniel 5 is the message of the whole Bible. It's Romans 3.23 where we read, For all have sinned, not some of us, not just the most egregious amongst us, for all have sinned. And, and Romans 6.23, the consequences, the wages of those sin is separation from God. No access to his spirit in this life. And one day, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. And we continue in Romans with Romans 5. Where it says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Jesus doesn't say, fix everything up and then maybe we'll talk. Right? That's kind of what Christians say. Clean your life up and then we can be friends. God says, come to me and I can fix that. In Romans 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we think about those silly voting ballots, we've got a yes or no to make spiritually, don't we? We've got a yes or no to make spiritually. And it's much clearer than those ballots. Yes is to have your sins forgiven. Yes is to follow Jesus. Yes is to have his spirit in our life, guiding, directing, correcting, empowering for a lifetime of faithfulness. Yes is to be one day with him forever in heaven. So so when Jesus comes to gather, described in, in Jeremiah 31, that when he does the gathering, it will be our names that he'll be calling. 
that when he comes to gather, it will be us that he's gathering to himself. That's the yes. The no is, is, is pretty short, isn't it? The no is to, re, to reject God, to say, um, I don't believe, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, it's my life, I can do whatever I want with it. Uh, but it's to say no to his presence in this life, isn't it? It's to say no to being set free from what ensnares us. It's to say no to be healed and fixed from our greatest brokenness. It's to say no to being one day with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever for eternity with God in heaven. It's a lot simpler than reading one of those ballots. Yes or no. Some of us today maybe need to say yes. Some of us today need to say yes to the Lord. If you've said no for years, for decades, would you say yes today? Some of us have been following the Lord for a while. We need to be reminded that we can stand firm, not because our willpower is so great, not because there's anything so special about us, but because the God we serve is strong. He is overall, that he has supremacy. He has power overall. He has sovereignty. Nothing exists outside of his awareness, outside of his influence, outside of his power. And because that, we can be patient as he brings about his will on earth. We can be ready as he puts us into service. And we can be bold when he taps us on the shoulder and says, it's your turn. We're up to bat. Let's go. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it encourages us. It reminds us that our boldness is not because of something that we do. It's because of something that you did. We're thankful for your word that reminds us, Lord, that evil will be punished, that there's nothing that you don't see and nothing, Lord, that exists outside of your control, outside of your power. Lord, you have not been overpowered. You have not lost Lord, but rather your patience is enduring. Lord, we believe we live in a time where you are being patient with us, but that judgment is coming. Lord, may we be the ones that you gather at the end. Lord, would you break down the walls, break down the barriers that keep us from seeing our need for a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.